This is a Salt Hill Media original podcast. Hello, welcome to the Ireland podcast. This is Fender Jackson. The guest this week is one of the world's most famous Boron, Byron, Boron, Byron players, Mr. Gino Lepardi. Gino plays with a fantastic group called Four Men and a Dog, who he affectionately refers to in this interview as The Dogs. Gino's recorded with Sinead O'Connor, Shane McGowan, Rick Danko, Levin Helm out of the band, and Garth Hudson, to name just but a few. Gino's appeared on almost 50 records, toured in over 30 countries, and performed in over 1,000 concerts. We talk a little bit about Gino's Italian heritage through his identity, but mostly I stay away from this topic because it was covered excellently by my esteemed friend, Mr. Paddy Glasgow, on his hugely successful podcast entitled Small But Massive. That's really worth checking out. I hope to get Paddy and Stella on this podcast someday as they do some of the most worthwhile work in the whole of the island of Ireland for the last 30 years or so. Anyway, check out that podcast. The link's in the bio. In this episode, I asked Gino mostly about his percussion. What does he play? How does he play it? How does he decide what to play? How does he arrange it? How does he record it? I mentioned the 57. What I really should have said was the Sure SM57 microphone. But you'll get the idea once you hear that. If any of you are into production, this is the one microphone you need to buy. It's about 100 euros. And it'll make anything sound rock and roll. We also talk about Gino's new record. No Turning Back. No Turning Back was recorded in Donegal in Liam Bradley's studio. And it was also recorded in Paul Casey's studio. And Paul was the guy who did the mixing and the mastering of it. The musicians on it who make it sound absolutely amazing are Liam Bradley, Paul Casey... Nicky Scott, John McCullough, Jerry O'Connor, Damien McGeehan, Tim Eady, Dermot Byrne, Kathy Jordan, Lauren Doherty, and also Gina Lepardi. Gino's touring the album, and you can find those dates as well as links for buying the CD at GinoLepardi.com. Again, the link will be in the bio. We recorded this conversation in Duberstown, aka Balanced Screen, in County Derry on Thursday, the 4th of January. 2024. Ball on the Screen is, of course, home as well to Burberry FC. Big shout out to them and all those who sail in it. Special thanks to my brother and his family for the loan of their living room. The soft furnishings really helped the acoustics of this recording. And you can tell Gene was appreciative of it as well. I think he said it was like an Agatha Christie room. Anyway. Band. Give us a boron finish. I'm John Devlin, and you're listening to the Ireland Podcast. Who are you, and what, and what do you do? <laughs> Who are you, more to the point? My name is Gino Lupari from Maharafelt in County Derry. I'm a boron player and singer with the band Four Men and a Dog. From the north. So I was going to ask you, where's home? Home is Maharafelt. Still? Well, after traveling the world for far too many years, lived in Sydney and in Boston and in Long Island, uh, sort of came near home to live in London for about 15 years. 
and then came home. And just explain Marafelt to anybody who doesn't <laughs> know it, because this is going right to America and uh, all around. Marafelt is a town at the foot of the Spurns. In County Derry. In County Derry. Uh, it's, uh, it was a town from uh, the Drapers, like Drapers Town, and they were given uh, the town. It's, it's a fairly pretty good town. It, it, there's a lot of things happening in it, good mixed community. Uh, there's a you know the Shimasini Center is not far from it, the Loch Ney. Uh, it, it's it's the gateway. Like it's only a half an hour from Belfast and a half an hour from Derry. It is. I'm sure some of your listeners, if they've gone up the Glenchian Pass, you've passed Marfield. Yeah, just the, the, the bottom on the left. The bottom on the left, round yeah. the roundabout. Uh-huh. It's a great town. I I love it, and people are friendly, and haven't been. Well, all my brothers and sisters were born there, so our family was raised there. Mm-hmm. And my grandparents uh, came there just towards the end of the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were billeted out by to Belfast, uh-huh. from Belfast out. And my granny had my, my father, who was only a babe in arms, but she used to tell me that she could watch the Fair Hill where the barracks was in Marafeld. She could watch the bombing of Belfast. Wow. And she could see it. She remembers it vividly. And then, uh, you know, I was the first born in an Italian family, plus I'm a male. Uh-huh. So I could do no wrong. So I, I, I was reared with my granny and granda. Uh-huh. And uh, they used to tell me stories about the old days and living in Belfast and living in Dublin. And, and uh, I used to be full of stories. And uh, all the Italian relatives that I had in Belfast. Yeah. And, all you know, ice cream men and fish and chips, and so I'll 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 pause you there because you did a fantastic interview with Paddy Glasgow of Glasgowbury, oh. yeah. <laughs> and you talked at length about um, your background. So I don't want to you no, know, sure go into that area because I do want to point listeners to that podcast because it's absolutely fantastic. I'm a Paddy. Let's well, don't tell it. Paddy, but I haven't heard it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I listened to the way up. I drove up from Galway the other day. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, and mm. uh, you know, there's there's so much detail in it, and there's so much uh, contextualization. You talk about Italy and w- what the it- Italian community has been like oh, in yeah. Northern Ireland. And I'm, I, my brother was was very well. We all were involved in it, but when I was living in London, mm. I uh, my brother was the chairman of the Northern Ireland Italian Society, mm-hmm. and uh, when I lived in Boston, uh, I'm I'm only back from Boston. I lived with the Italians. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I didn't go near South Boston or Dorchester. I went straight to where the Italians were. So, can I ask about your identity? Because that's something you don't really talk about in in the interview with Paddy. And I'm particularly interested in this because I've got children to a Chinese mother. Wow. So, similar to you, you know, you are... uh, I'm looking for another word beyond biracial. (laughs) (laughs) So don't explain about your identity. How, well, what do you feel? I when Italy well when when Italy are playing football, I'm Italian. When they're playing rugby, I'm Italian. And we when we go to play in Italy, there is nothing. I I've, I'm completely completely at home. Nothing faces me at all. It doesn't. I'm not looking around me thinking, oh my god, this is beautiful. I just I'm actually quite content. And. Uh, the boys in the band or people that I work with sometimes would say that I do have an Italian temperament. <laughs> but that, that's that's with, with being born. I was born in Belfast and then moved out. But my father passed away when he was 39 
and I was the eldest of nine kids. So we just, we didn't know any better, so we just looked after each other. And that grew a bond between us. And it is, it's so similar to uh, Italian-Americans in Boston and Irish-Americans. The bond's very, very tight. You know, there's, it's like, you know, at at one of those horse races where they're all vying for (laughs) the prime position, and you know, it it's, it involves sitting around all the time in the kitchen, not in lovely rooms like this. In the kitchen, coffee or food, and uh, that's where we're happiest. Uh-huh. So, for for sporting and food, I'm Italian. For music, I'm Irish. If that if that answers your question, what happens whenever Ireland's playing in Italy? Uh, I have two jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have to support. I, I support Italy. Okay. You know, in football and in rugby and yeah. and whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I got my Italian jersey. and uh, So your father is Italian, but your mother is Irish. My mother came from, my, my grandmother came from out the road. Yeah. Uh, she was out there, she was Conway. Mm-hmm. And my mum, I, I did an interview in Japan recently, oh, a couple of years ago. And the woman that was interviewing me, talk about details, she was able to tell me, that my granny came from Ballinus Green. Wow. Mm-hmm. Which is Draperstown, which yeah. is where we are now. Yeah. yeah. She, and uh, uh, she married a, a, a draper from Maharafelt, and my mum was the fourth oldest of a, of a group of six. Mm-hmm. And uh, she met my dad when he was in primary one, mm-hmm. going to school. Wow. Love story. I love those stories. Lo- you know? Well, you know, the, the family became uh, involved in... Uh, ice cream, and they do terrazzo and marble and mosaic. Uh-huh. And I have still one brother that does that still yet, but we, as growing up, we all served our time at it. That's a small world because your father and my father, mm-hmm. they work together. Yeah, yeah. They, so, they would have known each other very well. So, and I was just explaining to you how we got the, our connection today is through Seamus Finneran. <laughs> and I met Seamus at a session in, in Galway, in Galway, in Munro's, and I went up to him and I said, Roy... He said, what? <laughs> Roy? He said, no. I said, are you sure you're not Roy Orbison? <laughs> oh, he'd have loved that. <laughs> but but that turned into a conversation. Yeah. Which turned into, oh, okay, so you're Sharon Shannon's manager mm. in Australia. And then, uh, so I got an interview with Sharon. And then he suggested I should interview Steve Cooney. And oh, then Steve. Said, and then he said, well, Gino's just been playing with him. I said, isn't Gino in uh, Four Men and a Dog? <laughs> I said, yeah, do you know him? Yeah, I'll get you contact oh, with him. I, I was driving somewhere when he rang me. Yeah. He, he rings me at the most inopportune times. <laughs> but he's home now. He's moved home. He had a beautiful house Aye. in Sydney. Beautiful. But I've known Seamus and Maureen from London. Uh-huh. You know, that's how far we're going back. It's a small world, isn't oh, it? It's shocking. Aye. It is so small. Aye. You know, I was. Uh, we were in Finland one time, way up on the Russian border, playing at this Samba festival. Uh-huh. Excuse me. And I walked into the, the gents. And a, a, a second or third cousin was waiting for me when I came out. And he was working in the diplomatic corps in Russia. Uh-huh. I said, how are you doing, Gino? <laughs> and I've, I've met people in, uh, in Perth. I was sitting one day, the first day we ever arrived in Australia, 20-odd years ago, sitting down, just looking around me, and this girl came up and said to me, my daddy said you'd be here today. Wow. And he was in the house, my mother's house, reading the electric meter, and he says, where are you off tonight? I says, I'm going to Australia tomorrow. Uh-huh. And he says, I have a daughter in Perth. Uh-huh. 
and then I was sitting, mind my own business, uh -huh. and this woman was walking to me, and I said, this woman's going to speak to me. <laughs> and that's her, her father rang her and said that I was going to birth. Wow, that's crazy. It, it's small, small world. Uh -huh. So, you know, what I, worry, what I really want to talk to you about today is two things. One is the boron and the whole world around that. Oh. And, um, uh, well, not just boron, that's called your percussion. Okay. Okay. Irish percussion, whatever you want to call it. And then um, the other thing is, I want to plug your album. So I know you haven't said anything about that yet. So <laughs> I do want uh, you oh, to yeah, talk we'll about that. Oh, yeah, we'll do something with that. So, I mean, we could do both at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so you've brought your boron with you. And, and now I'm saying boron, you're saying boron. It's just the way I say it, boron. Aye. It's, it's boron, boron, so, boudron, you know. I think Donegal Irish is boron. And I think everywhere else it's boron. And. I, I, I've just always said it. My my Byrons are made from a man up the road, Seamus O'Kane. Oh, and Dungiven. Uh -huh, Seamus uh -huh. Rashi. Uh -huh. uh, I met him. Uh, he's your mentor. He is. You indeed. told me about this. I, well, you, he told, is, you said in the podcast about that. There uh -huh. is, is nothing. I wouldn't be anything without Seamus O'Kane. Right. And I have gone on record to say that. I, I got a, a Byron for a, a present. My uncle and I were working in a shop in Ballyshannon, and it, I was living away from home, and it was great, I was 13 or 14, and then my uncle sprung, sprung it on me that he was going to Italy, uh -huh. he had a, a marble quarry or something to look at, and uh, he says, but you can stay here and do it, so I'd never been away from home before by myself, so I got stuck into it, and the boy that I was working for bought me, he walked me down to Fitzgerald's music shop in Ballyshannon, and bought me a Byron, and uh, it was just, it was like love at first. It's like the gold ticket. I says, I know I can play that. And uh, then that was the worst thing he ever did because I, I was sitting up on the job practicing and every time he came in, I had the Byron in my hand, so he took it away from me oh. to get some work done. <laughs> and, and do you still have that? I do. Okay. I have, I have, uh, one, two. I kept all my Seamus O'Kane Byron. Seamus has stopped mm -hmm. making them. Mm -hmm. So I have maybe 10 10 or 11, mm -hmm. drums of Seamus. Don't play them. Right. I stopped playing them and stopped taking them on tour. Do they, do they, you don't play them because they're too valuable to you? No, I just don't play them because I don't want, I don't want to, uh, every, to when, when I was touring all the time, I used to come back or, you know, back to Seamus and he'd say, oh my God, jeez, look at that. Because I'd be maybe in Arizona one day and Alaska the next and it was just madness, you know, and then Australia or somewhere. So what would happen? Is it? Oh, the skin, because it's it's natural skin, Aye. it reacts to the... the uh, so the, the, the differences in mm -hmm. temperature. Oh, yeah. And that's the biggest... That's, uh, that's, you know, sometimes if it's like if you're down sort of like a humid day, you see uh, at the beginning of the bar on the way it's, it, it's evolved, you would have a hairdryer and put it on the radiator or something. Now they're, they're called tunable. Uh, there's little uh, machine heads in it to, to keep it tight. And she must make those. She, she must makes them like that, but but being the man that he is, he uh, he's always inventing stuff, and he'd ring you up and say, oh, "What about this?" And we'd do that. And but I I, I just I adore him. I think he's a great man. My brother has one of his boroughs yeah. in, in Manchester. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the ones that you have at home of his, do you record with them? Uh, sometimes, but not uh, when's the. the the last thing I recorded was with the uh, Liverpool Philharmonic. I had one of Seamus' drums. Uh -huh. uh, we did a, a thing called the Irish Sea Session 
in the Liverpool Philharmonic. Yeah. And I had that with me. But but these drums that I'm playing now are made in the States uh -huh. by a guy called Rob Faulkner, who learned at the Fetishumus. Uh -huh. And he's a, a geologist, but this is his passion. I, I have a similar thing. I have a Fender Strat, and it's a custom shop. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. But I never gig with it. You know, it stays at home, and yeah. I record with it. But I, I was, when I was living in China, I was gigging a lot. Um, so I bought a guitar just for gigging, a PRS, uh, just for yeah, gigging, yeah. just a workhorse. Yeah. So is that what that is? No, these these here are, these here are... Uh, a level up? A level up. Yeah. They're, they're all the, Seamus ironed out all the mistakes and all the the uh, idiosyncrasies that is, that is the Byron. And Rob now takes all that information that Seamus has correlated and this is what he produces. Uh -huh. And I have different sizes and diff like the, these are uh, goat skin. Right. Uh, made me some uh, from Pakistan goats. And wow. I have one from, I used to have one when I lived in Australia. It was made from kangaroo. Wow. And there's, there's Byron's with greyhound skin and donkey wow. skin and but it's animal skin. But, but, but every culture in the world has, has a frame drum. But I'm guessing you could take two drums made from the same parts of the same tree yep. with the same animal, see, even the, the literally the same animal, yep. put it together and, and be sound two different sounds. Totally different yep. sounds. So can you explain the characteristics of the drum and what makes those characteristics? Well, these, this drum, uh, for your listeners, is, if you can see it, it it's a, an all-round, it's a perfect skin. Mm -hmm. The A lot of the drums would have... A, like a tattoo on the Guinness or yeah. clatter rings or, you know, welcome to Ireland. That's hiding that uh, uh, deformity in the skin. Right. It's, it's like, uh, you know, they're, they're maybe, uh, they're treated maybe mechanically. The uh, These here are uh, completely, uh, you know, there's no gaps or holes. Or, yeah. So the other ones. So there's, there's tip number one. If you're buying a boron yeah. or byron, uh -huh. buy it without any... Uh, yep, tattoo that, on it. Yep, and, uh, that, and look for blemishes. And look look for blemishes. Uh, yeah. The the other thing uh, I you know the, you're talking about two two skins from the one animal. Mm. Uh, if you if you tend to get a young goat, or I I only deal with goats goat skins, but you tend to get a young goat. The the skin is very thin, mm. therefore it can be very sharp. And and sharp also being the the sounds. The yeah, yeah. And then you can also see the one. There's a line down the middle where the spine was. Oh. So that that there, the other side of that spine is the thicker skin, the harder skin. So that's always good to get oh. because the two, the spine's running like that, Aye. left and right. So these two bits here uh -huh. are tighter and thicker. So There's it's no good muscle. to get one with a line down the middle. I, because yeah, I always, I think so. When, and has that got that? No, no, but yeah. these, these are all like, uh -huh. these are made to my specs. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the with the, you know, phone calls and talking to them and emails and photographs. Uh, and wow. So that's tip number two. Look for one that with a line down the middle well, because you know, it'll give you a, a variation a of, of sounds. People think with the line down the middle, it's not very good. But the line down the middle gives you more tonal range. Yeah. Because the, the skin either side of the spine uh -huh. is more muscular. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? Uh -huh. So, you know, it's like, uh, if you just imagine... You know the, the actual animal yeah. going down like that. These these bits here uh -huh. are m more muscular and thicker, right? Right. So that helps the skin. Uh -huh. 
So what what other characteristics are there? There's the skin, and so there's the tautness. <coughs> well, I I have these these things that that Seamus and, and Rob have uh, developed, and they're they're called tuning rings. But not you know you don't I don't play to any particular key. Mm. Uh, the dog four men the dog play usually an E flat or A. So I I playing with them for so long, I know if I'm in their own tune like. Uh-huh. And uh, so, would you have a different boron for for, for, for different songs for different on tunes? On major tours, maybe you know, two or three months at a time, I might have three with me. Or, or this, we develop this, we take this out, and a smaller one fits inside it. Right. So I can have two fr- two from the same skin. Well, would you play with two in one? No, no, no. Or? I just just for because I was always bringing them back to Seamus, and they were in bits like it was. Uh. So I we developed this. This comes out. Right. And a smaller drum uh-huh. made from the same skin right. would fit in there. Uh, what's the ben- I don't understand the benefit of that yet. Well, because you're, you're taking two drums on tour for two or three months. Uh-huh. So then the wear and tear in this one. Right. And then when you're, you know, you take it out and say, I'll play with this one tonight. Oh, okay, and, and okay. So there's an actual, it's another drum. Right. And then you right. use this stick. Yeah. To play, put the right, middle on it. Right, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. So it's just, a, it's like wearing different pairs of shoes every day. Exactly. Just <laughs> something that you're more comfortable with. So. Uh, and, and that's, you know, I, for such a simple instrument, it's taken me around the globe numerous uh, times. But it's not simple, you see. People think it's simple. Aye. What about the wood then? This this is ply, plywood. It's about, I think it's 15 ply. Mm. Uh, 15 being what? 15, 15 uh, rows of ply. Rules. So one stack, one stack, stack, and then okay. bent right. and heated and twisted, and uh, you know there's it's quite a weight in that. But other ones, you know, there's there's some Byron's. Oh my God, Eamon Eamon McGuire in Belfast. You'd need to be a, like Arnold Schwarzenegger to lift them drums because they're really heavy, yeah. and he doesn't. He gets the animal after it's cured. He doesn't wash it or bleach it or nothing like that. It's just. Straight onto the skin, uh-huh. and on a hot day, you know you're playing a name in McGuire Byron. That's for sure, because uh-huh. it stinks, <laughs> honking. But he's he's another one that pushed pushed the the making and the development of the Byron. Uh-huh. Oh, uh-huh. him and Seamus, two great men at it. So, the difference of the wood, the, the actual type of wood, mm. does that have a big N- change? The, no, I don't. I don't. I, I, there. It's all ply because they have to bend it. Mm. So the th- this this sort of tattoo on it is my mm. the colours like that I like, and, and people would say, "Oh, I see your aura and all that kind of mm. you know, <laughs> whatever." And uh, so so Rob makes them with this, and then he might ring me up or email say, "I've got a great skin." He says, "But you know, I, I want you to have it. It'd be really good." So then the, two weeks later, this thing arrives and. It's like a new baby. You sit with it and play with it and look at it and uh-huh. and play and look at it and play. So nightmare scenario: the skin breaks. What can what can be done? Nothing. That's the end of the boron. That's the end. Of, well, the and before before the the invention, I'd call it of these tuning pegs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was nothing. They were just onto a room, and you'd be in America. And the sun would be cracking the stones, mm-hmm. and it would just go from from a nice round mellow sound to a tin tin tray, mm. and then people would be putting water in it, yeah, or or Guinness, Guinness, and I, they'd be putting that there and doing and then this the hairdryer, or, and then or uh-huh, the, the exactly, hand dryer, yeah. yeah. So then 
the Guinness and the water sit in the rim. Aye. And eventually, it just, because this is a natural skin, it, they rot, it rots away. Right. If you're, you know, if you had Guinness in your boot, Aye. after a while. So it, it eventually, and then one day you're playing, and that's it gone. It lit, it, if you got a small cut in it, Aye. you could do a run and repair. How but, so? How would you do well, you'd, you'd put on a painter's masking tape. Oh, right. Because painter's masking tape is thin. Aye. And when you take it off, it doesn't tear anything of the drum. Would you take it off then? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. After the gig or when I was going to take it back, if, uh, to, well, I don't take my buns to shoot anymore, but, you know, say, say there was a small hair crack in it, uh-huh. a tear, I would, I would doctor it uh, front and back with painter's masking tape. Yeah. But uh, anything bigger, it, you can't do anything. But would you... But they would stay on there, on yeah. there for the end of the Well, life. I would have to move, say it was in the middle. I would have to do all my playing at the other side of it mm-hmm. because it can't be playing on oh, it. Oh, yes, yes. But, you know, then I have to tune it down a bit and it can't be that tight. Uh, so, but if it if you're talking about like a major disaster, you just, that's it. That's an ornament. That's It's it's for the wall. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's what it is. And how, how many borings do you have? You said you got four or so. Oh, God. Uh, one, two, three of Rob's, Brendan White's, two, Brendan's and Holland, two, Seamus, eight, nine. Wow. My, myself and Johnny Ringo McDonough in, in Galway, we were on the hunt for the the perfect Byron. It's like the uh, like the Philosopher's Stone. We're the... Johnny and I talk about it all the time when we meet up. What have you got? Who have you got anything? And uh-huh. and uh, Johnny's style of playing is he likes his drums really thin. Yeah. And and attack, you know. John, and uh, I learned, uh, you know, Dedanon records. That was me up the stairs mm-hmm. playing. But surely it's a different boron for different tunes. Well, yeah, but there is, you know, the, the uh, like I, I play the boron with, with these sticks. These are made in, in uh, Pakistan. Uh-huh. And I only play these sticks. And is that a boron stick? Well, uh, yeah, yes. But it's, why is it made in Pakistan? I don't know. It's, it's, Do they know that you're making boron sticks? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I've got boron sticks uh, from... This is a nice one. Uh-huh. This is this is from uh, Germany. And that's again, these are all boron sticks. These I, are boron sticks. I can just hear this ping pong of boron boron. Everybody get over it. That's what I call it. And <laughs> then there's some, there's some made with, uh, can I see? yeah. There's so a, there's this, this one here, this one, that's, the German that's, one. It's a, it's like a jazz a hot brush. Rod. It's a hot rod. Yeah. So it's almost like a jazz brush. Yeah. You've got these here chopsticks, if you want. They're, or, or they're barbecue, barbecue shears. Shears. soaked and then they're, they're weighted at the end, uh, the Byron maker, uh, I can't remember, Christian Hedershack makes them. Uh-huh. And then these are other ones, and that long, thin one Aye. is an actual fiddle bow. Right. Uh, but I don't play the gut. Oh, There's, is that the door? That's the door. Hold on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies there. There, no. was, there was somebody at the door. Right, so um, you were saying about the long, thin one. No, the, 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 the longer, thin one is, is a fiddle bow. Aye. Uh, Seamus, uh, since the invention of the internet, he's never off it, and he would buy old cheap bows, and then he developed this. But th- this is for the younger players, uh-huh. the, the the kids that are coming up. They know they they tend to play it with one end, and you know these kids. Well, do it, 
the like pop, a, all these almost like pop. almost like whisking yeah. eggs uh, and a, a batter uh, and eggs. Yeah, I, I play the old fashioned way. I, I and uh, but that that there's just for for just in case somebody wants a different sound or. So back to the characteristics of the sound. It's down to mostly the skin and the the stick or the, or the mm. utensil that you need. Mm. Uh, you, the what do you call it? The baiter? What do you call uh, it? It's called a tipper, I think. A tipper. So it's down to the skin and the tipper. So not just the the what the skin is made from. But yeah, what's the skin made of? What weight is the tipper? Uh, is is there is there some people use a little weird weight? Uh-huh. A, a, a lead weight. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you know, but and, and others, others, you know, like in Kerry, they have their own style of playing. A lot of people play with their hand, Aye. Christy. Like well, Christ- the right hand. Yeah, whatever, Aye. whatever Aye. hand, Christy Moore style. Uh, so it's, it's it's just you know, there's no the only when I do classes and workshops, I start the 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 class off with there's no wrong way to play this thing except too loud Aye. or not in time. Aye. Because people buy it and say, "Oh, I've always wanted to play," and you know it suffers from bad press. But in in a session, uh, the Byron player can make it because, believe it or not, when you're playing with other musicians, no matter how good or bad a player you are, your ear is drawn to the rhythm. Yes. So if you're a a, a beginner and you're playing. And you're, there's no subtlety in your playing, and it's just started to start and finish at the finish. Right. Eventually, you'll start to see musicians slip off to the bar. Right. And, you know, you could be just sitting there on your own for <laughs> half an hour. So, but it's so, it's such a, an important instrument mm. because it, it, it controls the whole session. Mm-hmm. Back I'm, I'm interested back to the Guinness, the Guinness guys pouring Guinness onto the mm-hmm. skin. I don't know what that is. So there's no, there's no benefit no, at all. No. To I use a little bit of uh, a Trixo hand cream. If I'm going somewhere that I know, like if I was going to Melbourne or Aye. Sydney and I know it's going to be hot. Is that oil based? Just hand cream, you know, hand cream. women's hand cream. Aye, 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 I, aye. I don't even know if it is, probably. Or men's hand cream. Yeah. I use, I use hand cream in these oh, winter uh, months. <laughs> but anything like that, you know, rather than, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's natural skin. Aye. So it, it moves with the. Yeah. So, so with, you go for the hand cream. I, go, I just, the, uh, you know, if I was like in, a, in the hotel and wash my hands and there's a thing of free hand soap or, or I would just, whatever's left in my hands, I just rub into it. Aye. And how long would a born last? Well, it depends uh, how long you're, you know, like when, when I was, yeah. when we were on tour all the time, it was, you know, we were away for four or five months at a time, like, right. and uh, I would bring two or three with me and two of them would be, have to go to, they would have to go to the sick bay. Because of the skin would but, tear? But just, well, it would eventually, you know, turn, turn it up and down and loosening the skin. Right. It starts to lose a little bit of electricity, and yeah. and then you know, like flying and in the in the back of a, of the flight or in the car. Like as I said to you, when I took this boy on out, it was freezing, uh-huh. and that's only in South Derry. Uh-huh. So that all that there. So uh, a boy on, if you're gigging constantly, could maybe last you. It, w- it would need to, it would need to go into the workshop again after eighteen months. What would they do in the workshop? They would tidy it up and maybe uh, soak, you know, cut it back and soak it and stretch this bit again, and then put these in. These come out. These will come out. You so this will be rivets. So, so 
if, but if you can take the rivets out and pull it back, why couldn't you take the rivets out and then re-skin it? You can. Oh. Oh, you could. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's some of them, uh, like I give uh, some to Seamus and, and his son, Murrah, and they they just rang me and said, now nah, we can't save it. <laughs> right, right. And why would that be? Just complete wear and tear. And, Aye. you know, may, maybe you've, you've hit on a sound for a month or two and then you're going from... Calgary to Edmonton and 80 degree heat and then the next day it's raining and uh-huh. it's just it just it, it all depends on the weather uh-huh. so so with these with this invention of the the uh, tuners I think they're called uh, it, it's a little bit easier but when I finish he he has Rob has one gold one here yeah so that's the one I start with Right. So ah. that's and that's the one I start with when I'm tuning it down. So that's that's to that's to you, let you know that you're you've done the circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and whenever you're pitching it or whatever, how do you know how much pressure to put on the first one? You don't. You you uh, you don't really. So what do you do? It's your ear. After a while. Let me, let me move this oh no! I, no, it's just it's your ear. Like this, I so, just I just tightened this up for you. Should, should we, uh, no, no, sorry, that'll be fine. So, uh, whenever you're tuning your first one, you're using your ear, but but even at that, what are you what are you listening for? The tone, the the uh, the you know I the instrument that I love playing with all the time is the tin whistle or the flute. I think they're it's a match made in heaven. Byron and so you play open tin whistle? No, I well, if whoever like for instance, Kevin Crawford, a great whistle player. Uh, I love playing tunes with him because he or Mary Bergen, they play fast and they play you know lively tunes Aye. and they push you like. Aye. But because the whistle uh, frequency is up there, I tend to go down here. Right. So there's 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 night and day in it. Aye. So you got your hand at the top of the boron and your, and I, your left I, hand on I've the top. I've got my hand at the top. And then you're putting your and, right hand down the bottom. At the bottom. Aye. But my because I stand up to play, mm-hmm. this is why this bar is handy as well. I use it. I bent my fingers mm-hmm. in and out. Mm-hmm. That's why there's big lumps. Your left lump. hands. <laughs> That's why there's big lumps on my hand. And then, you know, you just... It, and, and when it goes through my mics, it's 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 a good sound as well. But you know you can see that's lower again, so it'd be. So that's a rim shot. That would be uh, when we're playing tunes at gigs or playing in a session. We play them in threes, so it'll be three A's, three B's. Three A's, three B's, three A's, three B's. So there's three tunes, and we play them three times. Right. So rather than playing at the start, just going, you know, you'd get bored. Right. So maybe sit out the first one, right. and then on the second one. And then maybe just drive it on with the third one. Or sometimes, you know, if I'm looking around me and not not in the zone, I'd maybe only play the third one if I can. <laughs> <laughs> and the band are looking at me going, that's, that's so, you know, it, it's, uh, but it's amazing, the, like I said to you before, every every culture has a frame drum. And uh, I, I am a believer that the drum, 
This Boron came from the Spanish Armada. Tell me why. Because they they were they ran aground off Finnet and Kerry, and uh, they they the Portuguese had the hand drum, and uh, I think that the sailors brought it. Right. And and they they brought that from the New World from the. The uh, Red Indians and the Eskimos. When we go to Canada, all the Eskimos have their their drums, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the djembes and stuff like that. It's it's just a variation on a theme. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that the the Byron come came came to Ireland, landed in Ireland with the Spanish sailors and on the coast of Kerry. You know, there's a joke in China that uh, <laughs> that the Japanese stole the Chinese instruments and swam across. But by the time they landed in Japan, the instruments were, were worse for wear. And that's why there's less strings on the Japanese <sighs> version of the Chinese instruments. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's the, the thing about music, all music, is it's international. It's a language that everybody understands. Yeah. And, uh, you know... It, I can hear people. Uh, people's reaction to rhythm is amazing because you know, as I said, when we play on them tunes, and then when I come in to play my part on the tune, people react right away. They they hear the byron uh-huh. or the rhythm, yeah. and then that, that lets them go. Mm-hmm. And and you know, nine times out of ten, people are roaring and shouting. Then, mm-hmm. yep, yeah, go on. But it's it, it's how they react to the uh-huh. the rhythm of it, and. You know, just to explain, this, I know I'm stating the obvious here, but to explain why you would go from maybe not playing the first A to this playing a little sparsely in the second A and more so in... It's well, there's there's two reasons for that. One, because three A's, three B's, three A's, three B's, and three A's, three B's could be long. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is you want to have a dynamic in it. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's going along nicely uh, A to B and then... Just a little, a little sparse bow on it. It picks up the ears and or a little rim shot, and then you know you just tease it in. Mm-hmm. But but now we, we would be known for playing polkas, which are it's like tunes on speed. Uh, and our accordion player Donald Murphy is a phenomenal player. He he would play polkas all day, and uh, they're dance tunes, and there's nowhere to hide in them. They they're fast. And slides as well. You don't know what BPM? Oh, God, no. I wouldn't. 200 I, plus? I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I really wouldn't know. I'm, yeah. I play by field I, I don't, and I don't read music. I read, but I don't read. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, uh, and slides again are, are you know, are in, and you have, because they're so fast, you can't, st- only a, a young fella, would start at the start and end at the end. But the trick is when you're playing polkas or listening to polkas or other musicians playing polkas or, or watch the dancers' feet because they're the ones that are keeping the time. Yes. You, you're you only an accompaniment to the dancers' feet yeah. and they're the people that'll tell you if you're playing too slow or you're playing too fast, you'll get the look. Wow. And so that's funny that you're using the eye yeah. rather than the ear. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I always watch... Dancers' feet. If we, you know, if there's a session down the street and we're having a pint, and there's three or four dancers, and I, I would, they'll dictate the, the tempo that we need to play at because uh-huh. that's what they're comfortable dancing at. Uh-huh. Although it might be, you know, if we go to Donald's from from Abbey Field in Limerick, so we drive, get in the car, and go to Limerick, mm-hmm. and play the same tune, 
it could be a time and a half faster. Mm, mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And that's that's the same with jigs and reels. You know, the, the Donegal tunes are influenced. They've influenced Scottish music. And as you come down the coast into Sligo, all flute music, into Galway, which is the capital mm. for traditional music, into Clare and down into Kerry, it, the, the, we could we could play the Bucks of Iron Moor in, in Donegal Town at a lovely speed and play the Bucks of Iron Moor in Ennis at like a late train. Yes. But it's the same tune. It's the same tune. I've, I've been in those late trains. <laughs> <laughs> they're hard to keep up. <laughs> well, when you get to my age, they're definitely hard to keep up. So can you walk us through the difference between a polka, jig, reel? I know you said you don't read music, so this could be a bit tricky for no, you. No, no, it'll be all right. I, I have the basics. This is a reel. A reel, what I'm teaching is, uh, this is how I teach absolute beginners. Uh so this is real, this is real time. Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. So the Coca-Cola is, uh, is the one, red, two, it, three, four beats. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, or or when I'm teaching kids, it's great fun. We do uh, uh, Big Mac. Fries, <laughs> a big mac and fries. Uh, I'm cutting my fingers out. A, a big, big mac, mac and, and fries. fries. That's five. That's a jig. Look. Is it? Uh, a big mac and fries. That's, but should uh, that be six? No, that's a jig time there, I think. Six is jig. Let's see. That's a jig time there. You have a pause there after yeah, that. Yeah, there's yeah. a triplet, what I call right. a triplet. Uh-huh. Uh, but but kids react to that. Uh-huh. They, they understand that. Or uh, they love playing Baby Shark. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. Or uh, Old MacDonald had a farm. Uh-huh. You know, just things that they can relate to rather uh-huh. than, because they see my hand going like this uh-huh. and they can't understand that. But when we break it down into, into like rhythm, uh, Big Mac and fries. Coca Cola. They count it out. My buddy Sean Og from Cavan, who I know from China, we started up a session in China because we were missing home during the <laughs> during the COVID, you know. And um, oh, it's fantastic, crack. But we were teaching the Chinese guys, you know, how do you play, you know, trash. Right. And um, he was always saying, rashes and sausages, yeah, rashes that, and sausages. It's, it's, uh, Rashers and sausages, rashers and sausages, rashers and sausages. Mommy, daddy, <laughs> mommy, daddy. <laughs> yeah. A big mac and fries, a big mac and fries. Coca Cola. It's just something, especially with kids that uh-huh. that they they can react to Coca Cola and a big mac and fries. Yes, yes. You know, I hear people doing that all, all the time. Rashers and sausages, rashers and sausages. And it's hard to say. Uh-huh. And then they do the sip jig, which is eggs, rashers and sausages. Eggs, Re- rashers really? and sausages. Really? Yeah, yeah. Eggs, rashers and sausages. 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 Yeah, well, you see, I, I, playing music uh, in from the north, from, from County Derry, uh, in this part of the world, we play jigs and reels, mm. marches, and hornpipes. Mm. There's very few musicians will will chance a polka at full speed, mm. you know, unleaded. 
and uh, forget the slides. Like they don't, they just, it's not, it's not in our, uh, it's not even in our ballpark. But as you go down the country, that's, you know, the, you play, like in Murphy's Bar and Abbey Field, you may play two reels all night and 500 polkas. Mm-hmm. But up here you may play two polkas and 500 reels. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, it's the way it is. And it's it, and as I said to you before, it's the speed of the instrument too, or the tune that's going around. Uh-huh. But it's in, it's in the ear, like you and I are chatting here, and you could hear different things than I could. Aye. You know, like egg rashers and sausage. Yeah. I I just I myself being self taught and you know just I think probably all the the Byron players I know are all self taught. Yeah. So they would hear different. You know, nobody hears the same thing. Uh-huh. You and I would hear things differently. So you've also brought other instruments. Well, or, I have other percussion. <laughs> I have. Where'd it go? Oh, I have. These are bones. Aye. But uh, my bones were taken off me in Toronto. Why? Many years ago, because they were animal product. Oh, you see, the the bones were boiled. They're they're actually sheep's ribs, Aye. and then they're boiled, uh-huh. and then they're scraped out, and then they're buried in a damp Why bag. Why are they buried? Uh, just to make them, you know, to rot them. Right, right. Now the only pl- well, I don't even know. I had a pair from the Portland Owen Monastery. Uh-huh. Now I don't know. You know, this is long ago. I don't know. If they still, if they were still there, but Eamon McGuire used to make them. But these here are uh, my old woodwork teacher made me a pair of these when I was on a TV show somewhere, and I said that the, my bones had been taken. Yeah. So he arrived at my house with these, uh-huh. and I've played them ever since. And uh, but it's uh, it's it's what the bones are sort of it's uh, they're cousins of the spoons, right? And which, which is what which is what two spoons. Yeah, we use them for a, a lot of trad stuff. I yeah. I, you know, and and like my friend Tommy Hayes is a great spoons player, yeah. but he can't play the bones. Why? I don't know because it's it's this way, right? And and the the bones the bones that I have are. Oh, oh okay. Oh, okay. So this one stays steady in your thumb, uh-huh. and it's curved like the the ribs. Yeah. So it's like this one stays steady. This one goes against it, like concave. Yeah, yeah. And this one stays. So what I was dev- what I have sort of started to do is like play like that. Uh-huh. But when I'm playing faster, I s- slightly move this round right. to sharpen the pitch. So you're moving the top one in eighty degrees to the yeah. bottom one. So it's it's. Yeah. A, I'd have to be doing it obviously. So they're made of wood. These were made from wood. The, the there's no, you know, uh, the the guy in Toronto that day looked at them and they were all the all the the marrow scraped out of them, Aye. and then they're put in uh, candle wax. Right. And then it, you what know, what does that do? Soften the tone. Well, it, it softens the tone, but I would have always scraped a bit out and and put a bit in or sanded a bit back or to brighten it. Just to brighten yeah. it, and then yeah. and then with these because I don't want to do that. I just move this just on a, on a beat, on a right, downbeat. Right, right, So it's like, so if I was playing, and then it would be. 
whenever you're recording in the studio, I noticed you, whenever we were setting up, you said a 57 on the, on the mm -hmm. boron. Would you record in the studio with one 57 on the boron and that's it? Or would you well, have? Uh, I'd have a 57 on this side and maybe a 58. Or if, if, there's, if it's a nice studio, you might get a name in. <laughs> right, yeah. Which is about 10,000 10, per 10,000. Yeah. Uh, we recorded in Woodstock a few years ago. With the band? With the band, but uh, yeah. the the microphones that we were using, the, the guy uh, who was producing our album, and he says uh, he was an, an apprentice engineer right. in, in New York, and they were they were gutting out some studio somewhere, and he picked three namings out of the skip. Out of the skip? Out of the skip. He's an apprentice? He was, you know, like a, a junior but how did he, how were the mics in this game? They were, they were refurbishing the studios. So the, the boys taking right, the just threw everything out. Jeez. And he said, there's a, there's a good chance, he said, Sinatra could have sang through one of these songs, these microphones. God. They were lying in the skip and he took them, got them all fixed up. He still has them to this day. Yeah. 30 grand's worth. At least. At least. At, at least. least. Yeah. No. So you'd have a 57 going from going to and the inside way, and then and a 58 maybe up on that coming down at coming a 45, down into it, yeah. 45 degree angle but you angle. see because i get carried away when i'm playing i i move a lot Aye. so this this is the this is the one that i would be comfortable you know the 57 it, it's it catches everything and your position in the 57 in what way against well the, uh, the boy on it, it's like a plate but i always try, try to put it down a little bit Aye. so it's picking up the bottom register Right. So that when so I'm if it, if when I'm playing above the fifty-seven, uh, it's automatically sharper to your ear. So the you know fifty-seven I mean? is like the right hand of the piano. And yeah, the, and the uh -huh. and so the I'm playing. Let me. Uh, I'm playing. Uh, let me see. I'm I'm playing there, bending it down like that. Yeah, and I, it's coming in here. Yeah, but all my all my hidden is there. Yeah, our yeah. So it'll be. So be with you. And I notice there that the left hand is putting pressure on the oh, skin, yeah. and then at the end you're sliding way to the side. Yeah, that my a lot of players, younger players now tend to just play up and you know this here. Yeah, I'm too old for that. So I play standing up. So I use this bar that's that's uh. in it. To play with on my oh, fingers. So, so you're leaning against the bar. Yeah. So look, see when it, it goes up. Oh yeah, you're really pressing into it. I'm. Uh, that's where yeah. my hands the way it is. Right. Right. So when I'm playing, right. so we see we're, we're playing. Uh, Beautiful. You know, so it's all. It, it all comes from these fingers. Uh huh. Rather than... Yes, yes. I, I can't be bothered with that. So I... Oh, well, what's the advantage of sliding up and down? I don't know. I... I <laughs> it's a Guinness boys, is it? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. There, there's there's players like Eamon Murray and uh, Colm Phelan. They're all great players. But they tend to do that, that because they sit down and they don't have a bar. Yeah, yeah. And they play with those thin, sharp sticks. Aye. I'm sort of me and Johnny Ringo are... Old school. Yeah, yeah. Plus, I have the energy to be going up, uh -huh. up. So it's just like that. It's a handshake. Uh -huh. And you get the same thing. Yeah. Same thing. And did you ever play where you actually 
pushed your ha- your left hand through the skin. No, no. Not happened yet. Not yet. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, uh, but, you know, who's to say? I'm coming to the end of my career now, so that's, that's probably something I put on my bucket list. Uh-huh. <laughs> put, put your hand through the drum. Uh, but, you know, it, it's for such a simple instrument, uh-huh. it controls so much power uh-huh. in, in the session, in, in the studio, in the... You know, people because there's no strings on it. Oh, that's easy. That'd be easy to play. And I mean, but you don't. I, I saw a Keela there on your yeah, Eve. Ron, I he has a strap on. He's got a strap mm. on, so you don't use that. No. Could you be asked? I couldn't be asked. And Ronan's he he's moving all the time, and but that's the way he played. Yeah. Ever since I've known him, he had the strap Aye. to to put the boy on. And some some of the boys because if you're playing a session with Ronan, he's sitting down. Right, right. But with the band, he's standing up. Uh-huh. And uh, he's he's the the sort of figure. He's the one that everybody watches. Yeah. The groover. That's right. But he's a great lad too. Great mm. player too. Uh-huh. Lovely man. I'm jumping all over the place because... No. Uh, because you're saying, you're showing me the bones there a second ago. And the reason why I was asking about the microphone, what microphone would you use for the bones then? I have a... a I got to deal with AK. Is that a hair cutting kit? No, it's cover. A, That's it's the same a, as my hair cutting kit cover. <laughs> it's my AKG bag. All oh, right. I did a, a few things for AKG a while ago, and I got three or four of these. Right. Well, they're click clip they're, on mics. They're, they're piano mics actually. Oh. So what's the what's the, the make of them? Uh, AKG. What's the AK, brand? Their a, model. I can't even see. I can't. Well, even we'll see. take a photograph and. I'll oh, would see there. It's in there somewhere. But uh, uh-huh. I, I was at Celtic Connections one year and their, their rep was there. Uh-huh. And he said, would you? I said, yeah, no bother. Uh-huh. And two of them came in the post. And so that clip-on you would use for the boron? Uh-huh. And I'd, I'd use for the boron or sometimes I would uh, maybe have, you know, if, if it depends how big the gig is, uh, and, you know, with walking about, uh-huh. if I just want to sit down and play, uh-huh. I would use a 57 and use... Have that clipped on there, so right, so I could play like that because that uh-huh. because of the 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 dynamic in the mic, it picks it up. Right, picks yeah. up the sharp the uh-huh. sharp bang. Uh, so you'd have that clipped on. Oh, to I would, if if I'm if I'm doing a say a concert gig or yeah. you know not a festival gig, say a theater gig, uh-huh. and I def- I'm deciding to sit down, I'll have this fifty-seven, and yeah. then I'll have the AKG clipped up in there somewhere. Yeah. So when it goes to when I go to play the bones, I'm just. Oh, so the 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 AKG is what you use specifically for the bone? No, no, no. The AKG for is a uh, is a is a mic for the drum, uh-huh. but uh, in festivals. Uh-huh. But if I'm doing like a theater a subdued theater gig, yeah. that and the AKG up there, so I can I don't have to move. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, yes, I got you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I'm using the two, and if you get a good sound man, he can tell he can make mm. he can make the difference. You know. So, what? And this, you know, this is still confusing me. Whenever you come to hear in a tune, there, what makes you decide what instrument to play? Well, it's boron or bones. Uh, again, it's the dynamic of the tune. You know, I th- I think, as I said before, three, three, and three. It, it's boring to the listener and to the audience to start at the start and finish at the finish. Uh-huh. So you you dip in and out. So maybe you play the first tune on the bones or. Maybe you don't play the first tune, play the second tune on the bones or play the second tune on the Byron 
on a rim shot and the third tune you play on the bones uh-huh. but usually usually the way it would work is for me the second tune would be a bones and the third tune would be a rim shot into uh-huh. into a driving rhythm and bones is like a real it's like playing sticks, really, on a piece of wood. Well, they're, they're, like. they're, they're like uh, Shano's dancer's shoes, you know. Yeah. They're playing them rhythms. Uh-huh. Whereas the drum is, well... It's, the, it's just the a, heartbeat. It's a the a driving yeah. sound. So so you'd ideally, as you say, you'd you'd start with the bones and then end in the boron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I would do, you know, just just for the listener and, and for the sake of the, the set of tunes, of course, it depends on what tunes they are. Like I have favorite tunes. I love playing that. Uh, we recorded it. A tune for the Fine Harmonium. I love that. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. love playing that because it's so orchestra. You know, big orchestra sound. Yeah. And I play the Byron on that the whole way through. Right. Because it uh, play very very quiet, and then build it up into like offbeats, and mm. then in, into syncopation towards the very end. Uh-huh. Apparently, but that was I was told by a drummer. Uh-huh. He says, "How do you do that?" I said, "I have no idea." Uh-huh. So he says, well, that's what you're doing. I says, I must remember that. Should we try that? The harmonium. Aye. If you want. No, I can't. I can't. It'd be without, it'd be, it'd be without a, a... Do you know it? I know it, but I, don't, I can't play it on the... I can oh. play the chords. Aye. It'd be just be the chords. Aye. We'll play something, anyway. Uh, you, whatever speed you want to go at. Oh, no, you... you no, I, no, I follow you now. Is that speed you go? No, no. Go, go, speed you go. Behind. <laughs> That's, it. That's very good playing. I, I was going to you know I used to play it in China. So I'm going back two years trying to remember that buddy oh, soon. Yeah. So I, I No, that up. that's a big audience favourite. I, I saw them in uh, Simon Jeffs was the guy. Yeah. Uh, I saw them in Glastonbury. Oh my god. Aye, in the acoustic tents, and there was eleven of them on stage. And I'm not surprised he died when he died because <laughs> <laughs> the, he got a bottle of Jack Daniels. And started glugging from the bottle and then pass, and this the is Penguin Cafe. Yes. Oh my and god. I started passing it around the band, you know, and Andy Annie Whitehead was a trombonist. And I can't remember if she was playing or not, or she's drinking or not. 
But um, oh, they yeah, they were they were ruthless. You know, I was thinking, God, this is, this is not BBC Two music at all. I'll tell you, that's <laughs> why I stopped. I've stopped drinking two years. I was working with actors, Aye. and I thought musicians could party. My God, yeah, yeah, not that. You stopped drinking two years ago. Stopped drinking two years ago. What two, happened? That I was drinking with actors, <laughs> 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 and you're finished. The gigs up at half ten. Aye. What do you do? Aye, aye. We were staying in Cork and, and an Airbnb, four or five of us. Aye, we'll go for a pint. Aye, four, we'll go for a pint. Four or five in the morning, you're uh, going to bed maybe? Oh no, four or five in the morning, we're, we're singing around maybe with three or four bottles of wine that we'd yeah. bought. And, and Was it tough to give up? No. People, because I, I love drinking pints. Aye. I, it was, I'm, I, I'm on an international level. Uh-huh. I, I could have represented Ireland or, or Italy. But I just, I said, you know, I'll not drink this week. And that was two years ago. I stopped 19 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Was it tough for you? No. I hit the bottom, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. I was no. d- down and out and was like, okay. That's it? That's yeah. That's it. There's no, the only way it was up for me or mm. else death, you know. You know, I, I, I worked with a lot of, uh, when I lived in London, I, I, I was doing a degree in psychology in McGee yeah. when the band started and... Uh, I would do the old soup kitchen run or work with people and and uh, I'd, I'd talk to people and they says, no, no, he's not ready yet. He's a functioning alcoholic. Right, yeah. yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say that I was an alcoholic. I just loved drinking. I loved the crack. I loved uh, drinking pints with the crack. Mm-hmm. But do you still have the crack? This is what I you, do, that's, it. that's yeah. it. And it's a lot easier now because you can get double, double zero Guinness and, uh-huh. you know. And drive people home. And drive people, well, that's it, you know. What are you doing? I said, oh, no. But, you know, I, I still enjoy, there was nothing more than playing tunes with your, you know, the dogs on a night off somewhere in some strange city, uh, drinking beer, eating chicken wings, playing tunes. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was, it was great. And I, has there been any, like, change in the dynamic of the band from you well, just stopping? getting older. But, but never oh, you're no, not drinking. No, no, right? no. I, just, they, they would, I just said to them one day, you know, I'm not going to drink anymore for a while. Uh-huh. Yeah, whatever. And I said, no, I don't want any. And then eventually they just didn't, they don't ask. Right. Do you want some sparkling water? Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh-huh. Or coffee. That's brilliant. But no, I, uh, and I'm never saying I'm not going to drink again. You know, I will, uh, you know, at some special occasion, I'll have a pint or yeah, a glass yeah. of wine. or Because yeah. that was one of the, the perks of traveling. We uh, we developed a, a, a very international palate. Uh-huh. Drink, oh, drinking wine and food and, Tacky. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that was, that was, it, we, I've had a very, very charmed life and I know uh, I, I appreciate every minute of it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it, I fell into it. I, mm-hmm. I did, I just fell into it. Into, into... Into performing and, yeah. and, and playing. My father was telling me before I left the house that your father was a great performer. In terms, he was a pantomime actor. Yeah, he was the, he was the pantomime dame Aye. for years in Maharafeld. Aye. And years. My, da, my dad says whenever he was on stage, straight away got a great laugh. Oh, but he, uh, uh, all his was timing. Uh-huh. How old are you whenever he passed? Uh, 15, 16. So you remember him performing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And my youngest brother was two. Uh-huh. Uh, nine of us. And then I just went to work. I, I left school and went to work. Uh-huh. And so, so I didn't... Uh, music, traditional music didn't even come to me till I saw uh-huh. that Byron and Fitzgerald's window. And Do you, How much of 
an influence do you think your father has had on you? Oh, I, I, I'm sure your father would, would, there's a saying that every so often I'd do something and some of the older men in the town would say, God, your father will not be dead as long as you're alive. Aye. You know, but I, I heard some stories about him, you know, the carry on, that get up till it and the things they do, you know, and it was all, it was all harmless. It was all just a pile of boys behaving badly. Yes. And, uh, you know, with regard, to, he says, never fight, he says, because you can rest assured there's somebody tighter than you yeah, around the corner. Exactly. Waiting for you. So walk away. Good advice. Oh, yeah. That stuck to me too. Yeah. And uh, no, uh, he was a big influence, you know, uh. because he he was very funny and would, uh, with, uh, I used to go down and watch the uh, the rehearsals in the pandemic. Uh-huh. And Davy Quinn, God rest him, was the drummer. And I just sit and watch Davy all night. And then when Davy was there away having a cigarette or something, I'd be hitting the snare. Uh-huh. So, you know, it was no, no other instrument. I, I taught myself the ukulele, basically, but no other instrument, really. I learned a bit of piano to help me uh, harmony singing, but uh, no other instrument grabbed yeah. me at all. So let's talk about your album now. Oh, God. Yeah, got to do it. What made you want to do it? Was it COVID? <laughs> COVID? COVID. Yeah. And I got a grant from the Arts Council. Uh, I had applied for a hardship grant from the... I'd never applied in all my 35 years of playing for anything. Yeah. And during my applying for the hardship fund, uh, I left something out and I got turned down. But I had referees like the, the book editor of the Irish Times... The, Playwright Mary Jones, you know artists and the the you know Simon Glynn, the director of the Liverpool Philharmonic, and blah 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 blah, and this is no, you didn't fill it out right. So I uh, then my friend said, look, there, there's another round of uh, funding coming, and uh, I I'd wanted to make this album for a while, since sort of COVID lying around the house doing nothing, mm-hmm. and uh, I had the money. They gave me five grand, and I had the money in the account for a couple of years and then Liam Bradley a fantastic drummer and musician rang me and says right let's get this done we're, we're sitting on our hands here too long so Liam Nicky Scott uh, Johnny McCullough Paul Casey Kathy Jordan Tim Eady Jerry O'Connor all these boys like play with Van Morrison and Chris Rhea and and Joe Bonamassa, and, oh, wow. and I know these boys, you know, these are my friends. Jer- Jerry Banjo toured with the dogs for 26 years, and Joe Bonamassa offered him a gig, and we said, you can't turn that down. He's amazing. Two, yeah. two world tours. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so so uh, these are the songs that I, I just like singing. There was, there's three. Are they your own songs? No, no, no. There's three songs, uh, Pretty Fair Maid, I got from the singing of Tim O'Brien. Uh, Mary and the Soldier, I got from the singing of Paul Brady. And The Mountains of Morn was my grandfather's favourite song. Mm-hmm. So I sang that. The other songs go from hearing Ray Cooter on the Old Grey Whistle Test, Jesus on the Main Line. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brown Eyed Handsome Man, Sean Cannon from the Dubliners gave me that song. Uh, uh, in spite of ourselves, I do a duet with Kathy Jordan. John Prine. John Prine. Um, we do a version. Uh, I I just sort of thought I'd, I'd throw a curveball, and I uh, 
recorded uh, A Man of Constant Sorrow. Mm. And everybody thinks it's the bluegrass version. Mm -hmm. But it's a dark, muggy, dirty version with loads of reverb and mm. slide guitars and just it. And uh, what else? Did we, we did uh, Josephine, mm -hmm. my girl Josephine. And uh, I, I came across this musician called Josh, Josh Turner. Great guy, you should check him out. And uh, he was playing an ABBA song with a, five, a tenor banjo and guitar. And it was really good. Just, you know, flicking through the internet and stuff. And then uh, I'd, always, I'd always loved that Beatles song, I Saw Her Standing There. Mm. So we put a bluegrass country feel onto that mm -hmm. with banjo and fiddle. And the fiddle player, Damien McGeehan from Donegal, is superb. Great, great fiddle player. Jerry Banjo played mandolin and uh, John McCullough, who, who's Van Morrison's uh, keyboard player. Mm -hmm. So we got them into the studio and I said, lads, just go for it, whatever you want to play. Mm -hmm. And at, at Touchwood, it came across like five or six mates having the crack. And where did you record it? In Donegal, up in Liam Bradley's studio in, in his house. And I did some vocals and some backing vocals in Derry in Paul Casey's house. So whenever you're recording the album, are you singing? Yeah, you're, you're singing. You're singing live. Then you overdub the vocals. Is that what you're uh, not not particularly. Sometimes I did. We did it a couple of takes. And say that, you know that's all right. And uh, there was that that man of constant sorrow. We had it. I overdubbed that because I, I was iffy about it. I wasn't sure, and my performances when I was doing it yeah. weren't. You you knew I was sort of holding back. Yes. And then I was told that fucking you know tighten up and do it the way I want you to do it yes but there was nobody produced it we all just every day lads mm. let's play this played it around and then just recorded it and what's your ambitions for it none I have it it's done uh -huh. and all the uh, uh, as my sister says well nobody can take that away from you now but uh, I always thought I wasn't a studio animal because with the dogs and stuff, I always preferred all my stuff to be live. So no click. No click. Yeah. And, you know, words and all, that's, that's how I like it because then, yeah. you know, you hear one of these live albums and it's mastered within an inch of its life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. good. Right. I'm I'm all for... Words and all. Words and all. Live and leads by the, by the, the who. who. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, it, it, you know, you're not fooling anybody by taking it into a mastering suite and spending three weeks. Aye. Taking taking a, a guitar string out, or Aye. you know, it's music, it's life, and uh, that's uh, you know all uh, like one of my life and dangers. Thin Lizzy, what yeah. an album! Yeah, uh, Bob Seger, Life at the Boston Garden, what an album! Mm, yeah, Oscar Peterson, Life, yeah, Night Train, Bang, yeah. Farinelli, you know all. Uh, uh, I Kevin and I, Kevin DeHarty and I are big uh, Mahler fans. We went to hear we went to hear the Fifth Symphony. Uh -huh. Oh jeez, I stand crying like a child. Yeah, it's, it's the uh, people would know it from the music from Death in Venice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh God. Uh -huh. Oh. Uh -huh. Just right to the spot. And do you hope to tour the album? Well, I don't know. I have I've, I've got some shows in the UK. And there's a couple of interests from Canada in the festivals in the summer. But with the 10-piece band, it's, it's expensive. 
So we have a, sort of like a flying squad, Tim Eady, Dermot Byrne on accordion, Jerry Banjo on banjo and fiddle, and myself, and uh, maybe if we could afford it, Nicky Scott on bass or a RA bass player. Mm -hmm. So Sharon's going out to Australia. Australia yeah. She's going out with a trio, and Seamus is saying that uh, they're recruiting local musicians. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Is that something you would do? Uh, well, the, well they, they'll be recruiting Australian musicians to play traditional music. Yeah. I would feel, you know, I, I know musicians in Woodstock like uh, that I would, I just, I got word from Woodstock yesterday that uh, the producer from the band's albums loves the album, and he was talking about it, and... Uh, so, you know, I know people that, that we used in Woodstock would be capable of playing, like. Yes, yeah. But whether or not we could afford to pay them, or Yeah. If we broke even, it'd be a success. If, if we broke even, but then with regards to America, it's just too hard. Uh -huh. You know, a, a, a visa's, you can maybe get one for three days or three months, but it's uh -huh. $1,500, whatever it is, like. So what's the plan for the dogs? Dogs uh, start again on in March at the Tullamore Tradfest. And then we do a couple of shows there. We do a couple of shows in Cavan. Then we do a couple of shows in England. Then uh, the Canadian spring, spring and summer tours, Canada, Cambridge, mm. the usual. You still like it? I do. I, I do. I'm not a big fan of the traveling anymore, but I still, you know, the, the plane's the easy part of it. Aye. The plane's the easy part. Was it, I was talking to somebody recently and they said that it was, it was, they were quoting Mick Jagger saying the, the music's only 10%. It's, it's the traveling and the waiting mm -hmm. around. And the I know, you can imagine them boys are waiting around in a bit of style. Aye. They bring their own uh, snooker referee with them. <laughs> They're <laughs> <laughs> They have yeah. to, they have to move up the darts now. becoming the yeah, vogue. and uh, you know we we try and travel in a bit of comfort, but you know when we were starting, it was a, a higher van, everybody in, yeah, everybody put the gear up, everybody took it down, everybody did this, everybody did that, and then we moved on to a sound man, and an engineer, and and a tour manager. It was all rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, and how how big's your entourage now? No, we're back to the five or six of us. Uh, we 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 know a couple of good sound men that we know and trust in England and in Ireland and in Canada, and yeah, we would get a hook into them. Is Paul Mulligan one of them? I know Paul's a great man. Paul's Declan's he's Declan's man. Aye, aye, he's Declan. Declan's a good friend of mine. So Paul, I played with Paul's son out in China. Wow, Kian. I don't know. I I've only got to know Paul. Really, this last five or six, maybe uh -huh. ten years, uh -huh. uh, and down in Canvara, I would see Paul, and uh, I, I've met him through Declan and through John Prine and stuff. Uh, great yeah. man. He's great friends with John Prine. Great. And uh, Jim Rooney and John Prine came to my home. Uh, sorry, not John Prine. Jim Rooney and Paul Mulligan came to my home, and we're sharing memories about John Prine and Galway and all the rest and Canvara. It's a lovely, lovely. Day. Oh, mm. and Paul. Paul is such a. A lovely man, mm -hmm. and great ears too. Uh -huh. But I, I've known Declan for a long time now, and, and him and I would, I played on his last album that. Uh, Declan O'Rourke, this is yeah. The, the yeah. famine, you know. Oh, the, that's the. I I want to get him on to talk about that. I I played the bones on right. the, the, and the Byron and stuff on that. Right. He, he was Declan's great. God. Tell me your favorite recording experience and what 
what it was and why. Well, no, I know it's a, it's a bit difficult to choose the best one. Choose a favourite one that you have in your head now. now the the one that I have in my head now okay. is a, a song that Jerry O'Connor and I wrote and we were up in Finland uh-huh. at the Samba Festival I was telling you about uh-huh. when I met my cousin. And uh, we were in this dressing room and we were sharing it with 30 of the most beautiful Samba dancers I've ever seen, and me and Jerry were in the dressing room, and uh, it was we were you know to be very honest and frank we were in no rush to get out, <laughs> and uh, we came up when we were recording we came up with this thing called Sometime Samba, uh-huh. and Kevin and Jerry and myself put lyrics to it and uh, we we just sort of had a like a samba vibe to it. Uh-huh. And we recorded it in Woodstock in Levon Levon Helms Barn, and I'm in the, it's live. I'm in the middle with a mic lead and a mic, and I'm walking around, and there's about you know all the dogs are here and there's pilot boys here and brass players there and there's maybe about twenty of us, uh-huh. and all we have is sometimes I need a little love, sometimes I need a little hope. Sometimes samba and something else with four four lines, and the producer, the Aaron says one two, and we started with that, and I recorded a track that was about eight minutes long, just off the top of my head, and w- just walking around, name checking the musicians. There's Randy on the accordiano and. You know, uh, Jerry Banjo and blah, blah, blah. And uh, we cut it down to about four or five minutes, but it was one take. The only thing that was was, was done again, they, they spliced my vocal when I couldn't hit the note. They took it from, from something else, the same note. Right. And that was it. But that was that was, uh, that was was flying by the seat of your pants. Mm. And it was great crack. Everybody stoned. And <laughs> <laughs> because they're all throwing stones at each other, Aye, of course. we're all throwing stones. <laughs> Drinking, drinking light beers. Yes, exactly. But that that was one that sticks out in the, in my head, uh-huh. and uh, there was ah, just just too many to remember. You know, I, I can't, I can't think. I recorded with Shane and the Popes, and what uh, what track was that? Uh, on uh, Shane, Aye. on Hollywood Boulevard, I did two or three tracks. Aye. I was talking to Bob Dowling, who I'd be in touch with. And somebody mentioned the album, and I says, I texted him, I said, Bob, did I play on that? He says, yeah. I says, what did I play? He says, why are you asking me? <laughs> and uh, done done some uh, done some work with Sinead, Sinead O'Connor. And, uh, what track what track and was that? We did an album. She wanted uh, some Bowron on an album in, uh, in London, and we were, it was that time that she had decided that she was sort of embracing religion. Mm-hmm. And uh, we met every day at Shane's Pub in London, North Kelsey London. McNassie's. Mm. Yeah. And the Angel there. Uh-huh. And uh, I said, look, I can get the, I can get a, the, the press were after her because she was running around dressed as a priest. And they're trying to get photographs and stuff. So I said, look, I can get a travel car at 740, you know, rather mm. than taxis. And, yeah. You know, I'll do that and walk around the corner to the studio. Uh-huh. And, uh. Every day, that I had the boy on. I thought, I said, these boys must think it's pizza or something. So that I walked by all the, all the photographers and the cameramen, and me and Mickey Most used to just 
hang, hang out in the, in, the, in the canteen at the studio chatting away. Yeah, he didn't know. He didn't know, I didn't know who he was. So this was just after she had become a priest. She had, yeah, sort of that, that embraced religion. Hounded, man. And uh, she wanted something, she she wanted a rhythm. I, and I, 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 I don't know if it, it maybe was a bonus track. I can't even remember the name. Right. It was all acoustic and all very much reggae driven. Who's the producer? A guy called Skip somebody. Uh-huh. I can't remember his surname. She's a reggae album, yeah. And was she... And it was, she wanted something... She had a, a poem that she had written for St. Bridget. Right. And she wanted some rhythm on it or something. Uh-huh. And it ended up that I got a, a marching band from Tobermore, uh-huh. snare drums, uh-huh. to play on it. How did you hear them? In my head. Just. Well, how did you know them? I, I knew, one. I, again, it was the drumming. I loved that type of drumming. Uh-huh. That, you know, that tight snare drumming. So this is, so you're from a... A Catholic yeah, background, yeah. and this is a group this, of guys yeah. from a Protestant mm-hmm. background. Well, all my first bow runs were made from lamb eggs, busted lamb eggs. Class. And and Seamus and I used to go to to right into the heartland uh-huh. to uh, the Protestant culture to get bow run skins. And, and, and there's no animosity. They they knew rightly what we were coming for, and your man used to keep us the best skins wow. that were busted. Hobson. Uh-huh. And uh, I was, the first time the dogs were on the TV... I had a boy on Seamus made and there was a, his mark was on it, his maker mark, uh-huh. Hobson Lambegs. Uh-huh. And Seamus rang me and says, look, you might be safer just, uh, I was talking to your man and it might be safer just to white out the name on the... On the boy On the boy uh-huh. And then when he passed away, Seamus and I went to his house to pay our respects. And he says, oh, his son came out and he was tattooed from fingernail to fingernail. Uh-huh. And we said, sorry about your father. And he says, oh, you're the Byron boy. I says, Seamus says, yeah. He says, come with me. And he had kept all these skins uh-huh. that would be perfect for Byron's. Wow. Busted. And he says, when these boys, the next time you see them, give them them. Wow. And Seamus got them? We got them. That's beautiful. Great. I love that, you know. It's, that, it's the music, as I said, exactly. it's the language. It's exactly. I mean, whenever I went to China the first time, I couldn't communicate with my um, wife's family i'm divorced now but um i couldn't communicate with them but once i started playing guitar and singing songs they could they could tell the, the makeup the character nearly mm-hmm. you know and i love that music does transcend those boundaries does. you know like we've i've been in uh, you know i i don't know places where you know a lot of steve cooney when we were in australia with steve and, and begley he brought a lot of uh, aboriginal musicians to gigs and stuff, and they were just so cool to hang out with. And, uh, you know, at festivals when I'd go back, there'd be always Paul Kelly's a great Australian musician and she and Howard, and they all have, they all embrace the, the First Nation, like, and mm. it was uh, it was great. Mm. And music just, it, you know, it didn't care what religion or colour or size or shape or... Mm. Brilliant. Music, it's all about the music. Plus, it's a good way to meet girls. <laughs> Brilliant, Gino. I uh, need to say, uh, multi grazie, <laughs> mille grazie, mille, mille grazie. Uh, no, the uh, everywhere I go in the world, I always look for the Lapari in the phone book. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Oh, yeah. I've come across Lip L I P. There was one that I actually it was in Crow's Nest in Sydney. Uh-huh. A guy called Anthony. Uh-huh. Lip Harry, and my grandfather's name was Antonio. Right. 
So uh, I went in and I says, I'm Lupari. And uh, we we got chatting over coffee. And he says, he reckons that it was L-U-P, but when the, his family went to Australia, they changed the vowel. Oh, right. L-I-P. Yeah, yeah. And there's a few Americans like that as well. Uh-huh. Because th- there's a... A gun, well, my uncle used to tell me this, and I don't know, I didn't have any reason to disbelieve him. There was a gun, and when there was a crime that nobody knew what it was, they'd blame it on the Lupari. It was some sort of a shotgun or something. Right, so you had to change it. L-U-P-A-R-I, Lupus, the wolf. Oh, the wolf. See? Yeah, yeah. You watch yourself. I better. So, mille grazie. Mille grazie. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Prego, prego. Seamus Fennern, good luck. <laughs> this has been a Solid Hill Media original podcast and production. <laughs> <laughs>